This is HBR News number 210. SAT gives students bonus points for oppression. Women forgets she wasn't raped. And more. Where we reflect on the stories of the week and give it the badger treatment. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I am your host, Brian, and I am joined by, as always, my esteemed co-panelists, Hannah, Mike J., and Dr. Random McCam. We have a great show lined up for you guys today, so please be sure to continue the conversations both in the chat as well as in the comments section. On this week's HBR News Show, we're going to be talking about the honks of the week, which includes an attempted spousal murder story that you won't believe. Yes, I'm being clickbaity. Deal with it. A college board that is going to include an adversity score in order to make SATs more inclusive? Harvard fires their first black dean for a reason that you have to hear in order to believe. Although there are links, so I guess you could just cheat. And more. So stick around. It's going to be a good time. And be sure. Clickbaity was a thing. Um, Yeah. And it was just magazines. Was it called Flickbaity? (laughs) Because that's probably a bit too uh, phrasing. Giggity. That's what she said. (laughs) You know, oh, I need to get rid of these hiccups. Excuse me. (laughs) Uh, Mike is with us and he's slightly more munted than usual. Is that uh, fair? No, I'm just drunk. I didn't say anything about (laughs) munted. Okay. Well. Um, yeah, this is the, definitely this news show is probably one you want to be in a in a different state uh, with which to deal with it. So and be sure to join us afterwards for the patron only after show. So I, I kind of made a last minute change on this one. I was going to go with something else, um, but it's really wordy and it's about abortion and my body, my choice and really. I don't want to read for what appeared to be like a fucking novella just to learn something I already know. So I'd rather just turn my brain off and read something stupid. So here's a medium piece written by someone named Shani J. And it's entitled The World War with Women. Which side will you be on? It's essentially drawing a line in the sand and saying, pick a side, the side of women or the side of not women. Uh, which is the bad side, Ryan, apparently. I, I dare say the sides have already been drawn for us. <laughs> I would say that this is my only problem with this uh, this medium arc we're going to get into is it, at first blush, I, I just get it's very transphobic and cis normative and binary. And I think that's a problem, but maybe that will be addressed. So if you guys want to be a part of. Of of the after show, we're reading reading this article that basically just is a laundry list of of everything that women have to deal with, which goes from and I mean like everything from advertising to clothes to celebrities to soap itself is oppressive. So if you want to be a part of that, join us in the after show uh, by becoming an audience member or a participant and a badger. Most importantly, by going to feedthebadger.com. And starting up a monthly subscription will get you into the Discord. It'll let you hang out with the other patrons and be a part of the other events and, uh, you know, things that we have going on. Lots of stuff going on in the Discord. It's pretty much like um, uh, it's a it's a place of of revelry and and uh, and song and ludes. It's just it's got it all. So 
So yeah, do that. Feedthebadger.com for a monthly subscription. In addition, if you don't want to wake up one morning to find yourself unable to find our content because YouTube finally dropped the X in our channels, please go to badgerfeed.com. That's badgerfeed.com. Now, before we get into the stories, I'm going to ask you guys to do me one huge favor and hit that like button. It really helps us out with our analytics and lets other people know, you know, as a better chance, supposedly, this is what YouTube says, that uh, you know that that other people who don't know who we are will find out that we're live and maybe they'll click. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they would, but they might. So please hit the like button. All right, now let's get into the stories. Mike J, I'm going to hand it off to you, bro. I'm willing to pick it up. So a man in Queensland, Australia, was charged with, but then exonerated of rape after the victim realized. She forgot she had consented to sex with him. <laughs> Justin Banham, age 49, was charged with rape following a fight with an unidentified woman, which occurred in October of 2017. Banham had entered the woman's house with a remote that she had given him at some point. During the encounter, he pushed her backwards onto a couch, which hurt her back. That's, that's a quote. And sometime after, the two had consensual sex, as they had done apparently many times before. But the next day, the woman, not remembering the consent, approached police claiming she was raped. According to Crown Prosecutor Matthew Hines, the one who dropped the initial rape charges against the man, this woman has a history of post-traumatic stress and personality disorders. Starting to, starting to click into place mm, there. Yeah. And on top of this, this woman's also a raging alcoholic who drinks daily, according to Heinz, and that plays a part in why she might forget things at times. Oh. Despite being innocent of the rape charges, Bannon has pleaded guilty to common assault for pushing the woman onto the couch. And according to Bannon's lawyer, Bannon had no recollection of the assault, but pled guilty in order to prevent the woman from having to testify. Why? Good question. Maybe he uh, was afraid of what else she might say, I'm guessing. Banham, who had previously had no criminal record, was given a $300 good behavior bond. I am not quite sure how the Australian legal system works. Uh, for one year, and has lost his job with Uber. But never forget about that town in New Zealand called, uh, what is it, East Guy Hotel? Where the where the massacre happened, your East Guy Hotel, that most famous village in New Zealand. Oh, Christchurch is it? Is East Guy Hotel? Who are famous for other things such as their um uh uh chemistry department somewhere that's uh, making groundbreaking stuff. I I I listen to number file and and periodic videos. And that, and that's the only time I've heard Christchurch do. They're doing some wonderful things with chemistry in Christchurch at the moment. Are they? It's yeah, going to be a but, uh, but that's not what they're remembered for at the moment. <laughs> God knows what my original point was, but I'm <laughs> sure someone else has a thing to say about at least one of the well, <laughs> strands I said. Yeah, uh, if. 
guys don't fuck around with women that drink so much that they tend to forget shit and they have a history of post-traumatic traumatic stress and personality disorders there are lots of red flags in this case hey, and, looking uh, at the original story why i just love this one quote he said as a result of her poor mental health incidences with men whereby consensual sex can occur can transplant previous memories onto that so, like, you, you literally basically said that this woman can't tell the difference between things that happened yesterday and things that happened last month or 10 years ago or didn't happen at all. Things she watched on TV, things that, you know, maybe she was just imagining. She's like, you can't trust anything, she says. Now, if something ever does happen to her, she's fucked. And what a what a what a situation. And this poor guy. If they didn't fucked. do anything for him. They did nothing for him. He was falsely accused. They proved him innocent. Uh, the the and he uh, still pled guilty. That, yeah, it still came out that his, that he did nothing, and he's got now a criminal record, and it's going to affect his employability, and yep. all because, gee, the poor woman has memory problems. Yeah, why did he? I mean, he said he pled guilty because he remembers. He did not remember the assault, but he pled guilty anyway. Yeah, because Guys, if you're going to do this yeah, whole patriarchy thing, said it you're going to have to do better. He said it was to prevent her from yeah. testifying. And at first, that sounded like a cuck thing to me. Like, oh, he's just, oh, he wants to spare the poor women the, the pain of having to testify, have to, having to take the stand. But then I thought about more. He's like, actually, he's probably worried about whatever else this crazy bitch is going to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, she makes up stuff like that all the time. And like, like, I, like this, this. And we live in a patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is a patriarchy, because uh, I'm I'm kind of confused as to what part of it is patriarchal. <laughs> well, it hurts men too, you see. So I don't I don't know. What, I got nothing. What I'm worried about what I I think the point I was trying to get out earlier if is that if if we ever do get a truly objective sense of gender morality, it'll be from some kind of computer. And it'll be programmed with whatever it's programmed with. <laughs> and there's a very good chance it'll get programmed with the woke programmers who, who, who know how to divide humans between the important things. And then the fucking Ray Kurzweil singularity that we build will be <laughs> running on that model. Mm. Uh, I, I, I saw this um, awesome Thomas Scott video. Uh, about how the first uh, AI that someone builds to try and prevent copyright from happening so, so as to erase um, all of our memories and things would accidentally erase the last century <laughs> of, of, of human endeavor because that was his mission. And then it, it would develop a sort of narrow bug that would get into not only computers but human beings. And when it, would, it would erase all of the memories of the last century. <laughs> and like, I, 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 I don't know how I got onto this subject, but you know, once we get into the idea of who's going to program the fucking computers of the future, you can see how it could fall into so many different kinds of the wrong hands, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very sage-like wisdom. Mike, indeed. 
Uh, let me look at some super chats. That was just a short story, but it seems to me that she just took the amnesia water, or maybe she's her life is being written by the guys who are right who wrote Game of Thrones. Biotic Warlock gave us two pounds and says Hannah is queen of the north. Thank you, Biotic Warlock. But she's kind of in the Midwest, so. Yeah, uh, I guess that, that would make me queen of the Midwest. That means she's going to die in a big upset at the end of a season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that would that would destroy my hobby of not dying. Like, I, I, I do something on a regular basis that involves not dying, so. Like, I, sort of, I, sort of, I sort of view it as the first few episodes, and then Ned died. And, like, you can't do that. I mean, Ned and Ned died, and from then on, it's like, no, I... I I don't I don't trust any of this to fulfill my <laughs> emotional needs. This is just going to disappoint me over and over again, like lost. Yeah. Oh, you don't <laughs> even know the half of it. <laughs> well, but, yeah. Well, or, or like or like heroes, but after eight seasons instead of two, you know. <laughs> a lot closer to Dexter. Yeah. Oof. Well, um, yeah, so we're going to move on to the next story because, again, that was just a short one. But let us know what you guys think in the comment section. Now, <laughs> this one, this one is fun, too. These are all fun stories today, guys. Women that forgot that what happened was not rape. And, um, well, we'll just go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. You'll eventually learn later in the episode. Fun is keyword for infuriating. <laughs> So right uh, La- he was right all along. <laughs> Las Vegas police released the shocking footage of an elderly man being pushed out of a bus by an angry woman who now faces murder charges after the man later died. The victim, uh, I still don't know whether this is Serge or Sergei Fournier, age 74, had initially survived being pushed back in March, but eventually died of his injuries at the hospital on April 23rd. The video shows the female suspect, Kadesha, Kadesha? Kadesha, probably? Kadesha. She looks like a Kadesha to me. Yeah. Um, no one, uh, no prizes for guessing the ethnicity of this young lady. <laughs> uh, age 25, pushing the elderly man out of the bus and then calmly walking away with her son in hand, offering no help to the fallen Fournier. Witnesses on the bus say that Bishop was being argumentative with people inside the bus and that Fournier told her to, quote, be nicer to the passengers, end quote, as he left. The Clark County coroner states that Fournier died of blunt force torso injuries, and that his death will be ruled a homicide. Bishop was arrested without incident on May 6th. She was charged with one count of murder of an elderly or vulnerable person. Bishop's bail was set at $100,000, and her preliminary hearing is set for May 23rd. The Las Vegas Metro Police are currently looking for witnesses to testify about the incident. Wow, man. Uh, obviously, this is, uh, you know, it's terrible. Uh, but, you know, just when I read the story, one of my thoughts was, I, I hope that when I turn... If, if I get to my 70s, <laughs> that my body isn't that I'm, – and I'm not saying that – you know I just know that as people get older, falls become a lot more dangerous. Um, it sort of depends on, uh, on what happens with your bones as you're aging. Some people yeah. develop osteoporosis, men and women. It's like people think of it as a female disease, but men get it too. It's mm-hmm. just uh, 
women are a little wimpier in terms of our bones are thinner to start with. And so you hear more about when women have it. Uh, but yeah, even, even healthy bones at that age are more likely to break um, than healthy bones at, at our age. And I, I just, he fell down the stairs um, after he was pushed and there's no way to, and, and hit concrete, right? There's no way to uh, not have something bad happen there. If he didn't have broken bones, there was also chances of a head injury. You see the way he hit and you can hit, you can have traumatic brain injury from a hit like that at any age. Uh, but as you're, you know, much, much younger or much, much older, as opposed to like your healthy, just below middle age to middle age, you're you're increasing your chances there. Um, like what this woman did was absolutely barbaric. Yeah, that was that was messed. Like I can't, I absolutely cannot get into the headspace of someone who can point at a randomer if you if you if you if you're pardon the connection with my name that someone that can point at a complete randomer and and say to her friends and perhaps family that guy raped me just to see what happens i i mean that sounds unless it's too evil for any woman or any man to do right but on the very odd occasion that does happen like a woman's so so detached from her sense of responsibility that one day she just goes, yeah, that guy raped me. And um, presumably sometimes it doesn't work because she points at a handsome, popular guy <laughs> with mm -hmm. a bunch of friends around him and it, uh, no altercation takes place because it's like, oh, okay, well, uh, we're not getting into that. But sometimes she points the finger at some loser and there's no one around him to protect him, but he looks like the kind of ah, he always has potential school shooter types. So <laughs> there's a possibility that enough people will will get around him, and there will be too few people defending him, possibly not enough for them to for them to take that shit out enough enough so that there's no one else in the bar going, hey, stop doing that because the dude has no friends. So they just keep going because there's no one acting in his defense saying, no, he's not a rapist. I, I don't know who this woman is and neither does he. <laughs> and they're overwhelmed by the people saying, well, well, our sister slash good friend just said he did. And look how neotenous she is and how school shootery this guy is so uh, i mean preponderance of evidence guy this guy needs a beat down i i may have had a different point at the beginning that i have now but i think i've done enough illustration mm. have i <laughs> yeah yeah you're thinking of this story from last week when uh that was the one with the girl that said the guy uh assaulted her he didn't she didn't say he raped her but she said he assaulted her and her brother uh, showed up and and uh, beat him to death, but this is this. There's a similar similarity to it. Both are attacks. The woman here. This woman was overtly violent. She she directly pushed the guy out of the bus and and uh, 
you know, his he died from his injuries from the fall. But it's it's really not a lot different uh, between a direct assault and using somebody else to do your assaulting for you. And I think both of the both of the women last week's uh, last week's liar and this week's crazy aggressive bus bitch. Um, they both have they both have in common a thing that because they have female privilege, they don't view men as being as human or as important as they are. They can treat them like they're disposable and they can use them as outlets for their anger or their boredom or whatever. Um, and it's there's a definite comparison between the two stories. Uh, it's it's like the idea of um, how many uh, husbands end up murdering their wives for whatever reason, and then you have to try and compare that to how many wives murder their husbands, but how many of them do it by proxy, like, uh, either through their new boyfriend or through a family member or whatever, and it doesn't count as a direct homicide because someone else was the hitman, so to speak. And yeah, it's it's not much of a, a difficult ethical question as to who is responsible, the hitman or the client. It's both. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a great deal more difficult to prove when, when uh, uh, violence or even murder has taken place between a... a, a a contractor and hitman when it's not official because the contractor is just a, a jealous woman and a hitman is just a jealous man. Cause well, and I, I don't think hitman... there's even any legal like, version of that. Right. And the other difference is when a, a husband kills his wife, it's often in a moment of passion or in the middle of a, uh, a existing violent conflict. Right. But when a hitman kills somebody, it's carefully planned, and there's no way of knowing how many uh, murders of men that are unsolved, murders of married men, or murders of men who, you know, somebody really benefited from their insurance and things like that. There's no way of knowing how many of those were hired killings because they're unsolved. And they may very well be unsolved because somebody planned very carefully and made sure that the evidence wouldn't point back to the person that committed the killing. Uh, so when, when feminists start using statistics like that, um, there's no way to make a comparison of it. It's not a meaningful use of the statistic. It's a, uh, it's an attempt at making something that isn't meaningful seem meaningful. And it's not that it's not meaningful that people died. You know, it's not that it's not meaningful that murder is committed, but it doesn't have any meaning in terms of, uh, who, which gender is more violent, which sex is more violent, and towards which sex? Because you don't have evidence of that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to di- differentiate between violence and proxy violence. And that's, and that's where they can easily get you into to the reeds, and it becomes a much more nuanced, dare I say, conversation. Oh. Yep. This woman, what made her think that that was like at all acceptable to do? 
to an old man. And uh, ironically, a man that simply asked her to be nicer to passengers. That was the uh, like, I'll show you. Ask me to be nicer to, to the passengers and there's going to be a massacre, I guess. And she just does this, this without consideration I'm... of the consequences of doing that. And, like, recognize this guy's way older. She was, like, what? Uh, I mean, I don't know if they say what her age is, but she's certainly a lot younger than he is. It's crazy. 25. She's 25. Holy shit. Okay, Mike, I'm sorry. You were going to say? This is something I remember from middle school. Like, if, you, if you're having a sort, a sort of bants with another 13-year-old mate or something, and at some point they'd call over a... a uh, the fucking psycho kid, the, uh, the, uh, the very badly raised kid who was very quick to throw his temper in his vest. And he just called him over and say, he, 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 he's, he's saying your tutor group is shit, mm-hmm. which means your class is shit. It was just, just a tribalist way. And, and then they just set him on him. They just set the fucking galoot on, on the guy who's saying the thing. And I couldn't help but think, but dude, but there's no way to get it through to them at that age. Dude, you know you're being used. You know know you're just being, you're just having a very basic threat narrative chucked in your direction, and that just triggers you into motion. And then you lumber over as the muscle. And it's, ah, that was analogous to a thing we were just talking about, but I forgot the thing mm. we were just talking about. <laughs> it's okay. I hope someone gets what I'm saying. It's it's all right. We we gotta get to the next story though. So uh next news. Let's do let's move on to the next thing. Mike J, we're gonna talk about well let us know what you guys think about this murder thought in the comments. Uh we're gonna get on to the next bit. All right, so this one's a bit long, bear with us, but uh, a lot of stuff to go through here. Ben uh, Feebleman, kind of an unfortunate last name there, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, A former journalism student at Columbia University is suing the institution after being expelled for sexual assault. Uh, I put that in the the notes, but I think it's actually closer to, to, to rape is what he was charged with. Anyway, the assault, uh, the incident between him and another unidentified fellow student at Columbia occurred in October of 2016. Despite him being the one being charged and expelled, uh, Feebleman alleged that not only is this not true, but it's the female student that was the aggressor in the situation. Plot twist of all plot twists. Feebleman's version of events has the two meeting at an event where she began to pursue him sexually for several hours. He eventually relented and joined her atop of a water tower for some late foreplay, and then they made their way to the female student's room to continue. But this, according to Feebleman, is where his consent ended. The female student then began begging him for sex, saying things like, quote, Please, because I can't let you go without it, end quote. She then attempted to forcibly perform oral sex on Feebleman, despite his protest, despite him saying things like, I know you have a boyfriend, please stop. The female student then began to berate Feebleman after continued refusals and even bit him. Fucking savage. 
wow. expecting that this incident would lead to a charge of sexual misconduct. So, you know, this guy knew it was coming. Feebleman began recording, and when she did come forward, he had at about a good 30 minutes of recording rebuffing her claims. Of course, that don't mean shit. Despite his evidence, the investigators ruled that he was responsible for the incident, as she was too drunk to consent. Feebleman was then expelled from Columbia, and his degree was withheld, despite the fact that he had already technically graduated. Well, this guy must be like the the, the proto-chad or something to... To have women, like, just on him like that. Whew. Okay, go ahead. So with the help of attorney Kimberly Lau, Feebleman plans on suing Columbia for what he calls anti-male gender bias and for blatantly violating Title IX. His attorney has made the following statement. Quote, Columbia University grievously mishandled this case. Columbia discriminated against Mr. Feebleman on the basis of his gender in violation of Title IX. The events of the evening in question and Columbia's numerous missteps are clearly detailed in our lawsuit. Mr. Feebleman did not violate Columbia's gender-based misconduct policies. In fact, Columbia acknowledged that she begged him for sex, he refused, and no sex occurred. Yet, Columbia continues to withheld, withhold his degree, despite the fact that he has met all the requirements for its conferral. End quote. Yeah, so, you know how there's some kind of rule that uh, if, if a her uh, husband denies her his wife uh the uh, sexual relationship she she deserves that counts as uh domestic violence right right uh withholding affection and it actually gets used in divorce as a uh, a a reason why the divorce should be approved when the the husband is fighting the divorce the wife claims withholding affection and that's one that's supposed to go both ways but never does Anyway, if it goes the other way, the feminists call it marital rape. It's kind of like with universities and and uh, teenagers and and alcohol and everything. You know, a guy gets drunk and has consensual sex with a woman who has had somewhere close to the amount of alcohol he's had. He gets called a rapist. A guy uh, gets drunk, or a woman gets drunk, and uh, overtly sexually assaults a guy. Uh, it, against his protests so so she's fully aware that he's unwilling and she gets called a victim yep that's uh we'll to see the how... end of every story isn't it and she's a victim <laughs> and she's a victim that's correct women well... are victims of their own choices and 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 victims of the consequences of their own actions, and vic- victims of the consequences other people face of their mm-hmm. own actions. Yeah, they don't even make choices; they're just leaves on the wind, and so they just get carried wherever. Uh, because making choices implies that they have agency and responsibility and accountability, and apparently, uh, we don't treat them as such. So. They must not actually they don't have, have They don't have choices. The, their choices are all uh, pre-decided by the patriarchy. So you should join <laughs> feminism so that they will all be pre-decided by feminism. <laughs> if, you, if you want some kind of philosophy where, where you decide your own choices on the spot, ah, we can't help you, I'm afraid. <laughs> Those don't exist. Um, yeah, but I'm glad that, you know, this guy's gonna see some justice. I'm glad he started recording. Always be recording. 
This guy has uh he's he seems to me to be on the based side. Plus he must have a magic penis because this woman just had to have it. <laughs> had to have it. So, um any other thoughts on this story before we move on? I just think it's good news and he's using Title IX in, you know, in a way that uh I see more and more uh men using it and I think that uh that's great. So, I'm I'm much happy happier to see the war played out in in bills against bills and propositions against propositions than played out in dairy products against dairy products. Uh, <laughs> uh okay, so let's move on to the next story. Thanks guys and let us know what you guys think uh in the comments below. This is, now we're going to get into the big ones. Yeah, th- those weren't the big ones. Those were just little ones. A real fun begins. Yeah, speaking of hitmen. So Valerie Cincinelli, that's her name, a New York City police officer arranged to kill her estranged husband. Police officer arranged to kill her estranged husband and her boyfriend's school-age daughter. Mr. Carvalho and Officer Cincinnelli had filed for divorce about five months earlier, and after a messy custody battle, the matter appeared almost settled. Apparently not to Cincinnelli. She plotted a scheme with her boyfriend and asked him to hire the hitman, suggesting to make the death of her husband look like a robbery, and for the killer to run over the girl with a car near her school. Instead of going along with the scheme, her boyfriend contacted the FBI. He knew he was next. Yeah, really? (laughs) On February 18, 2019, Officer Cincinnati withdrew $7,000 and her boyfriend bought five ounces of gold coins worth $6,935 to pay the killer. Wow, you could do that for only like just under 14 grand. It's not bad. This is starting to sound like the guy from... Uh, the last uh, what's it? The last no, the 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 Australian um ICMI, the fella I forgot his name. Who? Oh had yes, I know what you're talking his wife, about. Mm-hmm. His wife try, trying to get something pulled off on him, and I think the only reason that guy got away with it was because one of the people involved was one of his family members, and that family member had the, <sighs> the ethical fortitude to say. Whoa, uh, guy, we should stop this now. And eventually, miraculously, they did stop it. But I, I guess this is this is the story where no such good Samaritan appeared, right? No, no, this actually has a pretty happy ending. It does. Okay, okay, he he okay, went okay, to sorry, the – yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, on May 13th, the couple met, and their discussion was recorded as the boyfriend was wearing a wire. According to court documents, Officer Cincinnati had – used social media to track the whereabouts of her boyfriend's daughter. She also offered a warped explanation of why the murders would not appear linked. They would take place on different days, and the attack at Mr. Carvalho's workplace in Holtzville, New York, would not arouse suspicion, quote, because the murder would take place in the hood or the ghetto, end quote. Oof. That day, the authorities worked to convince Officer Cincinnati that her plot had succeeded, uh, spurring her on to contact her boyfriend to align align their alibis. 
She was taken into custody by the FBI and charged with use of, quote, interstate commerce for murder for hire, end quote, and is being held without bail. From the well, New York Times. Quick side note. Oh yeah. If you've ahead. ever seen, if you've ever seen how they do these, um, how they convince these people that like uh, the the hit was successful or whatever, I don't know who usually is the best act, best actor, the cops that are trying to sell it, or the uh, the uh, quote unquote loved ones when they find out their significant other has been killed. It's it's, mm. it's usually a pretty good contest, but damn if these cops, some of them like they they've got, they go to like Hollywood levels of production to sell the uh, the hit has been carried out. It's, <laughs> really? it's quite, a, it's quite a, a work of art to see in progress. If you watch a lot of true crime, like uh, like my family likes to. Hmm. Uh, uh, that day, I think I already read that bit um, from the New York Times is a quote from the New York Times. Officer Cincinnati worked in the 106th precinct in Queens as a domestic violence officer until 2017 when she was placed on modified duty and reassigned to a unit that monitors surveillance feeds in public housing developments, end quote. She was no longer permitted to carry a gun after being disciplined for sharing confidential information with a boyfriend. Wow, that sounds like somebody who shouldn't be a cop anymore, frankly. According to the decision... Not to mention Think a presidential candidate. Yeah. Think about that for a minute, though. All right. She was a domestic violence officer and she mm-hmm. shared confidential information with a boyfriend. So she wasn't just somebody, you know, sharing confidential information uh, to begin with, which was bad enough. But she worked as a domestic violence officer and shared confidential information. You don't know whether she shared confidential information with the boyfriend the woman went to. After she was abused mm-hmm. or with the abuser. But I'm, I'm certain that she would have been involved in a, a domestic where the abuser, at least the person labeled the abuser, was the boyfriend. Because that's the Duluth model is is in high use in New York. And, you know, if in New York they've all already reached the point where female five firefighters... <laughs> They shouldn't have to reach the same standards as male fighting firefighters in order to be in in action. Then that suggests it's, they've already got as far as the fire force, which means they must have already gone way beyond the point of the, of the police force, where they're letting in a great deal of women uh, on on not quite the same standards as men, and perhaps a lot of the women they're letting in. On those kind of quotas, are the are the kind of women who sh- who share the same sort of ideology as the people who let them in? Does that make, yeah. se- make any sense? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the truth in, in this case because uh, I don't I don't know if it's at the write up. I don't know if it was said, but she was a cop for twelve years, and I don't think I don't think that's that's um, yeah. I don't think that back then ago. is when. Was that when the push just started? Because I remember yeah, there that was, being there was feminism. more of a recent thing. Yeah, no, there were feminist pushes in these areas. They've it's been going on for more than twenty years. Um, although but still twelve years, man, just to throw really, all that away. Yeah, it really accelerated the, in the last the few mid-80s years. But, was yeah. was the greatest it ever got. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> the days uh, of back tokenism, Robocop was 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 the closest we ever got to equality. When 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 rock musicians dressed in, in exactly the same way, be they male or female. Remember that? That was, <laughs> yeah. we got there, my dudes. We got there artistically. We were fine. It's but then we went too far. 
There's a little bit more to the story. There's a little bit more to the story here. Um, just a final uh, bit. No, there isn't. A, a it's memo. exactly as simple as the base <laughs> aesthetic I've just laid out. Uh, according I'm, to the, I'm, you know, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, according to the detention memo, her first husband had obtained a restraining order against her. She and Mr. Carvalho, her second husband, had restraining orders against one another. She had sought. And she had sought a restraining order against her current boyfriend. So, some would um, call this a pattern. She's kind yeah. yeah. There's something about this woman that, like, how is she? Like, yeah, I can understand why the dude said when when she decided I'm gonna murder my ex husband and her current boyfriend, who better not still be her boyfriend, <laughs> was like, uh. <laughs> What the no, fuck have like, I got myself into? Point, isn't the whole point of law, especially in a court of law, to establish patterns? And isn't the whole point of the most very ancient human understandings of shamanism meant to be recognizing repeating patterns? It's it's yeah. all the same. It shouldn't be this difficult. <laughs> don't need to be a witch doctor to see that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this one's uh there's there was a uh, a bit of a it was projected before we like there's 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 a shadow that comes before the beast. You should have seen it. Some would say there were signs. Yeah. <laughs> Some might say, yeah, <laughs> maybe say. there were hints. I don't know. Uh, yeah, on, okay. on a list of red flags that your that your girlfriend might or your wife might try to kill you or have you killed, you can you can definitely have she's a victim identitarian. Mm-hmm. On, on that list mm-hmm. like you don't work uh, a woman working in a domestic violence unit um is is more likely than not a victim identitarian yeah like you and, might find some that are level-headed but the, if and, they go into that they've chosen to go into that for the most part and if they've chosen to go into that it's probably not because of their sympathy for men if you take this woman this woman and this woman who forgot that she had consented to have rape. You can kind of put it all... This is like the United Nations of red flags. Like, have you ever been to the United Nations building and it's all flags outside? Just that, but they're all red. <laughs> and like, w- women who, who take responsibility for their individual selves are not rare. They exist mm-hmm. all over the place and not mm-hmm. just in the working class, but in, in the... In the in the in the neurotic middle and and upper class as well, there are women that that feel the need to do that. But if, oh, I forgot the second half of my point. Um, that they're not rare, and you just got to know how to find them. Looking for the flags, does that have something with red flags? And and that and is. They're not immune. They're not immune to the virus either. Oh yeah, may have been something I was saying. Uh, it's scatterbrain night here. At, yeah, that's uh, okay. Radio. Radio. <laughs> no, but that is a good point. You know, um, and there's two ways that women are not immune to the virus. One of them is it's when there's an easy road in front of you. It has. It does take a lot of self-control to not use that easy road. You really have to be able to think about the consequences and what it really means for you to take that road. Um, 
And like some of my biggest challenges were times in my life when it would have been really easy to destroy somebody I was angry at. Uh, and I had to think about other things that would uh, happen. Like there's, you know, my, my, uh, in my uh, family situation, my husband's ex-wife, uh, there's been numerous times when I've had the opportunity to completely destroy her reputation with, uh, you know, with respect to her career and everything and her, her husband's career uh, because of the way they've treated our family. And it's been so tempting. Um, mm -hmm. I, there's been times when I've been so mad. You guys have, uh, I'm sure, plenty of idea. I can't say you have no idea. I'm sure you have plenty of idea. Uh, I, I'm sure you've all had somebody that has done something really, truly despicable to someone you love. And you've been like, God, I just I just want to, you know, destroy this person. I, just, you know, you probably have even thought of of ways to do it and the consequences. And the hard part is. Women grow up with cushions between them and the consequences all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it just, when you don't get the benefit of facing consequences and suffering and learning from that, you, you don't develop the uh, mindfulness that you need in order to pay attention to that when you're thinking of doing something terrible. And the younger a woman is, the less likely she is to, uh, to think of those consequences and not do something terrible. Uh, you know, and, and the other road is that lack of understanding that I'm talking about can be profound. And uh, a lot of gals don't, they don't just not think, they don't see they don't, it's not that they don't feel anything. It's that they don't, they don't recognize, you know, the, like they might see if I uh, do the social equivalent of hitting this person and this person will now have the social equivalent of a bruise or a broken nose and I feel better, right? They don't see that when you do the social equivalent of attacking someone, you attack that person and their family and their coworkers and and maybe their neighborhood, and it it comes back. What reflects back on you isn't just you hit somebody. It's women do these things, and so a lot of gals uh, do terrible things without really understanding how bad what they're doing is, and part of it's that they have no experience with handling the consequences of their actions. They're so accustomed to those consequences falling other, on other people and to not having to care that those consequences have fallen on other people that they just don't have an awareness of it. But the other end of it is that they don't care because it's not them. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very difficult. You really do have to be vigilant as a, as a female in society from childhood all the way up to your old age. You really do have to be vigilant. Am I uh, looking at an easy road that's actually going to give a whole lot of other people a hard time? Would this be wrong if a man did it? You know, why am I even contemplating this? Yeah. So, yeah, even the even the best gals are not immune to the virus. You have to fight it's... it every damn day.
it, it sort of, it sort of relates to that uh, that last Badger talk, where you and Karen sort of really went at each other, and it was largely at cross purposes, I know, but it but it, it was it was that drama that got down to a a, a really serious point. That is it something about women that they learn before feminism and and or is it something that women learn because of feminism to just to just not have this sense of other people's well-being as well <laughs> like yeah i don't i don't think teaches i don't think any any of us would say that women are born naturally biologically unempathetic to men because we wouldn't have been able to evolve as a species like that but it was obviously there's a, a, a spiral galaxy of possibilities to explain how we got to the position where um men still have so much empathy for women the amount that you would practically expect and some change these days <laughs> But um, it doesn't look like women are are, are are affording the respect for men that they have for for, for most civilizations and mythologies in history, and perhaps that's a symptom of of an empire in its last throes. Uh, <laughs> to leave mm -hmm, it on a sparkly note. Well, one thing is for sure, um, women and boys, girls and boys, women and men, they grow up hearing the same set of things about their relationship to each other. Both sexes, and I, I, I went into this one day in response to the whole emotional labor thing. Both sexes are constantly told ladies first. Both sexes are constantly told she can hit you because she can't hurt you, but you can't hit her because you can hurt her. Right? Both sexes are constantly told, you're the guy, it's your job. They constantly hear the guy's told, you're the guy, it's your job to protect her. You're bigger and stronger. Don't let anything happen to her. Both sexes grow up being told that it's the man's job to provide and protect for his family. And it's, it's uh, you know, the woman is supposed to benefit from that. And it used to be, that it was the woman's job to run the household and be the good steward of the resources. And both partners were to love each other and care for each other and have each other's backs and take and protect each other, right? But we lost that part over the last couple of centuries, the, the idea that women were equally responsible for their husband's welfare, even if it was different methodology, right, how we carry it out. Um, and we're not equally responsible in the eyes of society anymore for the well-being of our families. In fact, our families are, are in the eyes of society about our well-being. Like, how selfish can you get? How solipsistic, nothing in the world exists but me, nothing else in the world is as important as I am. Of course, uh, it's not taught by feminism. Feminism is a great vehicle for exhibiting it and uh, for exploiting it, for using it as a weapon. 
but both sexes have that gynocentric outlook. And over the last couple of centuries in Western Western culture, both sexes have evolved into this lack of sympathy uh, for men and lack of compassion. I think a lot of times when we talk about empathy, we really mean compassion. Empathy is just being able to uh, uh, fully, completely, and totally understand what the other person is feeling because you have felt it, you know it, you recognize it. But compassion is when you you recognize another person's experiences and and you care what happens to them. You care about those experiences and you want to see uh, positivity and good for them instead of bad. And it, we have lost um, compassion as a society for men almost altogether. And we have this idea that we're not exercising compassion for women if we don't cater to their every want and need. And it's exactly the opposite of what we need. We really need to have equal compassion for both sexes. And nobody should be getting catered to. That's damaging to both sexes. And it's especially damaging to our children. And we look at some of the problems that millennials have with gender issues and their inability to distinguish, for, for instance, between a sexuality and a personality quirk or a gender identity and a personality quirk. Like they, they've, they're completely messed up. Not the whole generation, obviously, but enough that you can't go onto a university campus and talk about the differences between sex, sexuality, gender, and gender identity and personality quirks, and without getting uh, protested violently. You know, the idea that you want to impose, you know, don't want to impose gender dysphoria on people who don't have it is objectionable to this generation. Because we've had a whole century of throwing men in the trash and throwing men under the bus. So, of course, everyone wants to have some connection to femininity because then they matter. So we we might be spiraling. And I don't know. We might have a chance to put on the brakes. But uh, I think it's going to be a pretty hard road. Well, the Romans and the Greeks had um, male and female gods for all kinds of things, including uh, evil and bad. I think uh, there uh, there was a male god of the underworld, which was Hades, but he had his wife, which was the female goddess of the underworld, which was was Persephone. They had they had a god for all of the things. They had Athena and Aphrodite as the good female gods, and aforementioned as the bad female gods, and they had good male gods and bad male gods. But once we developed a system where there's only one god and he's male and he's good, that sort of creates a system where men have to f follow perfection and women have to uh, worship men. the idea of that perfection. But that doesn't mean worshipping men because men will never realise uh, true godlike perfection. So women uh, worship God and men worship women in the hope that they'll worship God will go through to them. 
This this is something that Allison and I have have been trying to figure out for the last five years, and we're <laughs> we're almost there. Mm. But it's yeah, it's yeah, it's something to do with uh, a, a, a spiritual um, uh, some not nationality, but a, a spiritual something you have our in common. Spiritual was identity, or or was was always necessary. Mm-hmm. And and one that takes elementally, naturally different things into account, like like light and day, and like men and women, because they are different. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, but then we came then we came about this monotheism, which says that no, there is only one God and there is only one uh, gender. And since then, it's got people really confused because some people think, well, that means it's a patriarchy, but at the same time, that means it's it's imposing godlike responsibilities on men and mortal responsibilities on women. Hence, God impregnates a mortal woman. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know though, am, I, am um, I really off topic now? I forget where we even were. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we kind of got into a tangent about men and women and everything anyway, and you're on that topic. The thing about the biblical uh, and biblical stuff, a lot of people don't understand uh, English, <laughs> honestly, from like not today's English, but from when the Bible was written. Uh, he didn't necessarily mean he and there's actually a a verse and i this one i can't remember where it is in the bible but it was something i read that when i was a kid and i thought well if this is true then he when it refers to god doesn't mean he because he's a guy it's he because that's that's the word that's used to refer to an a person um and that was in heaven they are neither male nor female and people take uh, God made Adam in his image as God must be male. But what if it just means God gave Adam characteristics that God had, as in a body, a soul, and a spirit, right? right. Or as in two arms, two legs, a head, and a torso, and no tail. And um, no it could mean or... anything like that. And yeah. so this idea that God had to be male came from people that uh, maybe didn't understand the uh, the Bible uh, and maybe didn't understand what they were reading and stuff. And feminists latched onto that, and it in their minds it became a bad thing, right? Nobody else cared, nobody else really gave a crap. Um, but feminists made it a big deal. The other thing that uh, Mike well, they just want. I think they just wanted to attack. Uh, they just wanted to attack religion because yeah, um, and I, they, honestly, they, yeah, they just hate it. I think what they what they really wanted to attack was morality and religion is the vehicle for morality. Yeah. Like morality is something that you can't, you can't justify morality without religion. You can justify ethics without religion, but you cannot justify morality without religion. And there's a big difference. Okay. Cause morality is more of a pronunciation of right and wrong. Ethics has to do with consequences and, and harm or harmless. And you can apply morality to things that are completely harmless. And you can say it's immoral, for instance, to uh, have a pastime that, that you enjoy engaging in that doesn't benefit anybody. 
so I, I play a video game. I'm immoral because I am not, I'm not doing any work. You know, uh, I, you could say that it's immoral to wear buttons because they that's make a you look Zen all proud. That's by the way. Right? And, that's, and, that's the point to actually meditating. You don't meditate in order to make yourself a better person. You just meditate because you've, it's fun to meditate. Well, there we is. go. Uh, but in any case, it, feminism kind of destroyed this idea uh, or latched onto this idea of, of deity being male as a way to justify to themselves being angry at morality. When they really, if they were intelligent about what they were doing, they could have talked about ethics versus morality and benefits and drawbacks and all of that and left gender out of it. But, you know. Um, the other thing, though, that, that Mike said that uh, sort of keyed me into something was mentioning Persephone. And I'm thinking about it. You know, we talk all this all the time about how much how recently um, women have gone downhill in terms of accountability and uh, uh, compassion for other people. But that Greek myth, like all those myths are based on the expectations of groups of people. Um, you would not consider a female deity uh, to behave a certain way if it wasn't expected that women would behave that way, right? Um, the story of Persephone involves her being in Hades' uh, domain for six months and then home with her mother for six months. And what does her mother do? She takes her grieving out on the entire world. Winter happens because Persephone's mother is mad that she is in the domain of her husband. That's it. She's angry that her daughter isn't at home with her. And so we have winter. Everything dies. Everything goes to sleep. Like how, uh, how lack of, how, how, how uncompassionate is that? Huh? Well, it's an, uh, it, that, yeah. Like you said, the gods, uh, they were a reflection of, well, they were trying to explain, you know, the seasons and like nature, but they also use the nature of human beings. That's why, and especially the Greek gods, you know, they, they were, um, and we're really on a tangent here, <laughs> but, but the Greek gods were, um, you know, they were, they were powerful and they were responsible for everything, but they were also petty and they got jealous and they, you know, um, just like they were, they created drama. Like they were very mortal in their yeah, wants and desires. They were very human in well, their. There were their... attempts. There were attempts to explain um what they didn't know at the time as chaos theory. Why does lightning strike when it strikes? Mm -hmm. Why do earthquakes and volcanoes happen when they strike? And the truth is, it's because of this thing we've recently discovered called chaos theory. And if you look it up, chaos is also a great god. <laughs> mm -hmm. There you go. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, actually, the best description of deities that I've ever run into was uh, in Eric the Viking when they get to Valhalla and the gods turn out to all be children. And it explains <laughs> everything. Yeah. Uh, but we have to move on. So I'm sorry. This is all very interesting stuff. But I got like, you know, two more stories and they're also pretty big so it's just like one thing after another uh let us know what you guys think excuse me about um the cop that attempted to murder her husband <laughs> i'm just gonna call it murder or her ex or whatever 
in the comments section. But now we're going to talk a little bit about a BuzzFeed quiz to see how privileged you are. Not really. Actually, it's a lot worse. No. Uh, Given don't... that we've recently discovered that there was some survey that Tim Bull pulled out. I think it might have been Pew Research, though. But among all the uh, <laughs> news sources they, they they surveyed, BuzzFeed was by far the least trusted by everyone across the board, like extreme left wing to right to extreme right wing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's absolutely, I, mean, I know, surprise. I know, BuzzFeed is still doing really well and still pulling in revenue, fucking somehow, but it still feels like punching down in a sort of. <laughs> intellectual way uh, i know it's, it's a pretentious thing to say but it's like punching a really rich dwarf like the game of thrones guy i don't know Tyrion lannister peter yeah. dinklage yeah or is he still peter the coolest Dink- character oh, i, I heard he was for a while of course. Have, they, have they killed him as, he, he, no he destroyed of, him as well of course he kind of his, his writing kind of went downhill but all the writing kind of went downhill yeah it basically the everybody moved down a few steps but he was still at the top just as i had predicted but anyway um Turns out dragons emit this radiation that makes you mildly retarded <laughs> i wish i had poisoned you all is this so in other words they keep a dragon in the basement at, at on capitol hill uh, at, where congress has yeah. to meet every day yeah and also in in new york city apparently um, is this a BuzzFeed quiz to see how privileged you are? No. And don't worry, the College Board will calculate an adversity score for you. That is, every student taking the SAT. It will be a number ranging from 1 to 100 calculated from 15 factors, such as neighborhood crime rates, poverty levels, and family environment. 50 is the average score. Above 50 reflects more hardship and under 50 is degrees of privilege. That's right. Quote, And that's just working off that intersectionality test that was doing the rounds recently. um, That's where they're getting the data, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, SAT officials indicated that students would not be informed of their adversity scores, but colleges will have access to them as they make admission decisions. So this is from Forbes. Quote, and of course, they're going to have no idea what their diversity score is based on the answers that they put on the test. Nothing about the test is going to give them any clue. No, I guess I'm not. Like, do, you, do you know when people do, I remember the 70s nostalgia programs. I wonder if 30 years from now people are going to do, <laughs> I remember the the the, the, the 90s and the 10s. Remember BuzzFeed? It was a bit like the space hopper, wasn't it? Mm. Now that you say that, I wonder if when, if as if ever as of next year, uh, we're gonna have a new Roaring Twenties, or is it just gonna be the Reing Twenties? I don't know. Um, okay, so <laughs> from Forbes, the obvious intent of this adversity score is to increase the diversity of students admitted to college and to improve the perceived fairness of admissions at a time. When they have come under heavy fire for being subject to bias, privilege, and in the case of the college admission scandal, outright fraud. Whether the adversity score will do the trick and also be able to withstand legal challenges and public scrutiny 
remains to be seen. When they talk about the um, admission scandal, I think they're talking about those really rich and famous uh, women that were uh, bribing, I guess, uh, colleges well, they, to get they, their they were kids bribing in. Colleges, or? they were paying people to take tests for them. They'd literally hire yeah. people to be like, "Hey," and they'd be like, "Hey." what do you want on this test? I'll get you the yeah. exact number you want. And there were a bunch of loopholes. Like one thing is you say you have ADD, they instantly give you unlimited time on the SAT test. What? Oh my God. Yeah. So they well, were just exploding were... well-known loopholes. Yeah. Yeah. There were, also, there were also some people that uh, committed outright fraud in terms of uh, I am a, I'm on this sports team or I'm on that sports team or I, this, I do this athletic thing and they would, they would be, allowed onto the university sports team and because they were getting in as an athlete uh they their admissions uh were, you know requests were accepted so i mean there were there were a variety of different ways these parents were defrauding the universities and there were some university employees uh involved but they weren't the university didn't know necessarily yeah. uh, at least not according to the the story uh, the the main administrators and then of course the employees are in in jail and uh, and fired um, and then this was parents um, both sexes uh, some of the parents that that uh, that got busted were uh, busted right along with their wives you know some of the dads were busted too some of the dads didn't know what was going on but some of the dads did and so this wasn't just like I want to, you know, hold women accountable when they do things, but I don't want to not hold men accountable when they do things because we're holding women accountable when they do things. Um, this is, but this is a social situation that was largely created by women. It's just that there were men involved. Men did get caught up in it, and uh, and they went along with it as well, and they got in trouble too. Somehow the the stuff strikes me as going in the wrong direction. But uh, Michael T. Neitzel agrees. Uh, he is the author of a Forbes article that we're quoting here. He thinks that we should be skeptical. I mean, I think this is obvious, but okay. Because yeah. of the following reasons. Number one. You can't be skeptical. You know what community that lands you. <laughs> it makes you alt-right adjacent, I believe. Uh, which I think Michael yeah, T. Neitzel probably is. Than all the above. Like the left wing is one thing, the alt right is one thing, but the skeptic community. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he, he just said he just said he tried skeptic. to figure out what both sides are doing wrong. He didn't say skeptic <laughs> TM, so he said no, 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 no. That's something a skeptic community member would say. <laughs> That's what we have to say. Thank you, contrapoints. Okay, so number one, the College Board has not revealed the factors or their weights in calculating adversity scores beyond claiming that some of the data are from public sources and some are proprietary. If it refuses to disclose how adversity scores are calculated, the College Board should not expect the public to accept them. Number two. At a time when standardized testing is under increased scrutiny and is even being discounted or minimized as an admission tool by hundreds of colleges, one must wonder whether adversity scores are, pri are primarily an attempt to protect the SAT's market or to promote social mobility. Colleges that are genuinely concerned about the bias built into the tests or the cheating associated with the SAT or the ACT 
have a simpler choice. Don't require students to take them. Number three, measuring neighborhood adversity is not the same as assessing an individual student's resilience or grit. There's not a straight line from socioeconomic background to SAT performance. Of course there isn't. Assigning adversity number suggests an influence that may not be operating for individual students, and it probably overlooks influences that are. And number four, the fact that the college board does not want students to know their adversity scores reflects their own discomfort with the concept, obviously. It's a potential source of self-handicapping and self-fulfilling prophecy. I will tell you, this is a fucking awful idea, and you're going... Um, I think that uh, this is the wrong way to go. It is, I, I believe they're going to do this from the perspective of intersectionality, as Mike had clued in. That's the only way they can do it. That means they're going to bring people from the is, humanities. Is, is it weird that I'm hearing everything you're saying with a smooth jazz background piano? No, not, not <laughs> at all. I'm, I, I hope that's what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, they're going to probably get people from... Uh, that you know that have a history in the humanities and in intersectional feminism, and I know that there are people who might have their doubts that there are that many. But I can promise you, when I I was doing research in several colleges in Chicago uh, to reach out to professors that worked in the humanities in order to contact them to let them know about the ICMI, every college, every university that has a humanities department. Every professor in there is an intersectional feminist, all of them. And they all work from that. Even if they're not, if they're teaching, it doesn't matter what they're teaching. You know, some are teaching feminists like, you know, women's studies. Some are teaching masculinities. Some are teaching LGBTQ studies. I swear they have classes for shit that you're like, why does this exist? There's like, there, there's immigrant studies. There's, um, there's... <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Pan-African studies, there's, and I'm not saying that they don't have any value, but all of them are based in the social justice model, okay? And so those are probably the people that so are going to be involved. basically feminist means w w we're totally not appropriating men's issues. And intersectional feminist means we're totally not appropriating every nigga on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you do it in a way that creates a hierarchy. So there are people that they give no shits about, and we already know who those people are. And then there are people that get the most. And at the end of the day, it always boils down to women. So women are the number one oppressed group, no matter how intersectional you are, period. That always takes precedence because if you take any marginalized group that includes men, those men are the oppressors of the women within that group. So that these are the people that I'm fairly certain and I know there's no way of knowing because there isn't a lot of info on it. But if they're trying to put together a, a score that will be determined based on a person's background to figure out how underprivileged they are and therefore give them advantages to go to school, it's got to work under inter the intersectional model. And it's this is what annoys way. me about Ben Shapiro, by the way, when he tries to portray the progressive stack. He always put uh, gays on the top, uh, uh, LGBT below that, and 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 then it's Muslims, and then it's brown people, and and 
way, way below that, it's women. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to, and I just want to shake the little runt by the shoulders and say, "Dickhead, women are on the top. They've mm-hmm. always been on the top. This is the fucking scam." Uh, yeah, this is something uh, the right wing is never going to understand the progressive stack because they're looking at it in terms of how they see people's victim identities, not how the left sees victim identities. Mm-hmm. And so they will never, since they don't see women as universally victimized, they might see women as as universally weaker or uh, women as universally deserving, but they don't see women as universally victimized. And so they don't they don't understand what the left is doing in those terms but i think the the upshot of this story is that morality and ethics the morality and ethics of uh uh buying your chosen university's acceptance because that's what they're doing right it's it's not necessarily on an individual basis you're now being forced into it right but but buying your university's acceptance the uh the morality and the ethics of that depends on what you use for currency We've learned, you know, from this this uh, scandal that money and chicanery are not approved currencies. You cannot lie to get in. You cannot make a fake life for yourself and present it to the university and say, this is me. Let me in. And you can't give them money or you or buy somebody else's uh, 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 information and say, this is me. Let me in. You know, so that's out. But apparently, you can use your victim identity as currency, and and that that's approved for this type of transaction. In fact, it's going to be forced on you now. It's so all just if you're like, uh, uh, affirmative if victim action I- with extra yeah. steps, yeah. If mm-hmm. your if your victim identity isn't very Ooh, uh, uh, oh, impressive, going to get laid in college. <laughs> if your victim identity isn't very impressive, well, you know, sorry, doesn't matter if you got a perfect SAT, you're not good enough for the college. You got to have a great victim identity in order to get accepted now so don't admit that your parents are married mm-hmm. um have a have an ancestor at least if somewhere along the line that's brown that you can you can claim because if you don't you're you're screwed you know uh, if you're not female 64 to one yeah, native yeah. american will do it if you're not female <laughs> if you're not female become a trans trender um, it won't, you, you know, even the people who really suffer gender dysphoria and are transgender, they can't, they can't get mad at you because feminists have paved the way for anybody that wants to claim that status, uh, to, to be considered transgender now, even if they're not. So people who actually struggle with it are sort of shuffled off to the side, but you're a victim now cause you're female. So you can get in, um, anything like that, right now, now college is going to become the pageant of victimhood rather than a place of uh, educational benefit. And you just have to victim signal your way through for four years. Don't bother doing your homework. Claim your press professor is oppressing you because of your woke identity and, uh, and you'll get out of it. Don't worry about your test. Claim that you have some made up psychological disorder that prevents you from being able to test properly and it's traumatic if you have to take a test so the professor is going to have to come up with a much more creative way of finding out if you know the information you were being taught in class you know like asking do you know this information yes okay you passed 
right? So mm-hmm. college is going to become useless, like completely and utterly useless. It's already bad. It's already not. Already uh, kind not, of almost already there. Yeah. It's already to the point where you get somebody that's uh, studying the soft sciences, uh, not the hard sciences. Somebody who's uh, not going into medicine, but maybe, uh, you know, meditation. <laughs> um, it, you don't know if they actually learned anything in college. You don't, you don't know that their degree actually means anything, uh, but they still are going to get the job that you're going for if you don't have a degree because a lot of employers don't have any better way of measuring. So, I mean, I expect in the next generation that unless your degree is for something that you can't do without really knowing what you're doing, uh, knowing the information, and unless you can prove that you actually really know the information, college degrees are going to be utterly meaningless in a generation, if not sooner. And this is part of what's going to make it happen. Yep. And uh, I Tilted uh, picked a, uh, a, a an eerily but characteristically typical typical uh, apt time to upload to this video about the uh, fall of empires, which is something Allison's been talking about for years. But uh, about how the, the, the characteristics uh, listed historically, not just myth- mythologically, but historically, in how in how empires fall, and they ha- and they have uh, patterned characteristics, uh, you know, so, uh, such as uh, wives and husbands no longer giving a shit about each other. Everyone's measured by their. Uh, base sexuality and things and people betray each other just for the sake of betraying each other because there's no longer any um any any higher power to believe in and it's yeah well this this is something we've been talking about at least behind the scenes on honey badge radio even since bloody five years ago when it was just 20 of us in one skype room yep (laughs) we were talking about yeah, yeah, you know the um, the the pattern of how empires end, and the symptoms of empires ending, and we've been saying all this time, this is what it looks like when yeah. when the environment itself curses um, uh, 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 an empire for 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 getting too big, for pushing too far out into the environment that that it could possibly need. And yeah, I, I, God, I could write a fucking dissertation about this. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll stop now. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I got a super well, chat. One more thing. Okay. Before we go on, I just want to say a lot of what's wrong with universities today could be solved by getting the federal government out of them. No mm-hmm. federal money, no federal guarantees for university loans for, for money that, let students go to the bank. Let students go to the universities. Uh, no, no support at all from the government. No government grants. Mm-hmm. No nothing. And and universities would have to straighten up. They would have to market what sells, and and that would be the skills people need to do the jobs that the that they have gone to the university to learn how to do, instead of all this crap that they're throwing at them now. And the university environment would change dramatically. And we would not have all of these snowflakes running around 
having screaming temper tantrums because somebody's coming on campus talking about marriage. Yep. Speaking of uh, snowflake students throwing tantrums on campus. <laughs> uh, well, first, I, I got a super chat. So Albert Nada V2.0 gives us $5 Canadian and says, it's time for a quick shilling. My new video, Feminazi, the Amanda Barker experience is now up on my original channel. There you go, guys. Go check it out. But like after, after our show and perhaps after the after show, if you guys come on the after show. So we're going to go on don't to forget to smash that like button. Yes, if you could smash that like button. All right. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Harvard. Um, look at this guy. You know, when I see this photo, the only thing I think about is. <laughs> That's that's what Is I that think. Anti-Semitism, but... yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, oh God, I just joked it into existence, didn't I? Give it six months. So uh uh okay, so for most Me Too witches, guilt has already been established. And as in any good witch hunt, the mob should treat association with witches as suspicious. In our super progressive view of law and order, a Harvard dean, this person here, has been fired for becoming Harvey Weinstein's lawyer. Let me say this in a different way. A lawyer was fired for doing their job for someone who has yet to be proven guilty. Even if guilt is proven, what kind of backward society stains him or her with their client's actions? In Clown World, Harvard Law students do. From the New York Times, a law professor who has represented Harvey Weinstein would not continue as faculty dean of an undergraduate house after his term ends on June 30th, bowing to months of pressure from students. The professor, Ronald S. Sullivan Jr., and his wife, Stephanie Robinson, who is a lecturer at the law school, have been the faculty deans of Winthrop House, one of Harvard's residential houses for undergraduate students since 20, 2009. They were the first African-American faculty deans in Harvard's history. Last week, Mr. Sullivan had come out to say that he was no longer representing Mr. Weinstein, stating that the rescheduling of the trial to September had created a conflict with his teaching obligations at Harvard. Quote, my decision to represent Mr. Weinstein sparked considerable discussion and activism around issues of sexual violence, the appropriate role and responsibilities of Harvard and its faculty in addressing those issues, and the tension between protecting the rights of those criminally accused and validating the experience of those who are survivors of sexual violence. My representation of those accused of sexual assault does not speak to my personal views on any of these matters, end quote. Though Mr. Sullivan and Ms. Robinson will no longer be faculty deans, it does not affect their positions at the law school, where Mr. Sullivan is the Jesse Klemenko Clinical Professor of Law and the Director of the Criminal Justice Institute. About 52 Harvard professors signed a letter supporting Mr. Sullivan, not that that matters, stating that, quote, his commitment to representing unpopular clients was fully consistent with his role as law professor and faculty dean and that Harvard should not pressure him to resign, end quote. However, 
Many students were happy with the outcome after protesting. Graffiti written on the door of a Harvard University building read, quote, our rage is self-defense, quote, end quote, and quote, whose side are you on, end quote. Uh, here's a quote again. Uh, Danu Moon. Oh God, what is this name? Danu Mudanayake, a, a junior who took a leading role in organizing the protests, said on Saturday afternoon that she had not expected the college to act so definitive, definitively or so quickly. Quote: My honest reaction is just completely gobsmacked, but in the best way. She said. I'm very proud today of our college and our college administration for finally choosing to do the right thing. Remember when we talked about the progressive stack and who's actually going to be on the bottom of that stack? Do you remember that? I remember. Pepper's Farmer Did remembers. Did we arrive on Ashkenazi white men Jews? By <laughs> so, first African-American... Faculty dean in the history of Harvard forced to resign because he chose to defend a man who is not guilty and he believed in due process. And it freaked the yeah. students out. I wonder where they got at the idea to act so irrational. I wonder what could have could have spurred them into this to feeling this way. I wonder. Hmm. You know, the, I think the, the craziest thing about this is that it happened at a school that has historically been the best law school or one yeah. of the best law Harvard. schools in the country yeah right it's not the sinclair community college it's not evergreen area which is a, law right yeah it's not evergreen community not, college right so it's not the whatever state you're in university school of law it's not you know the name of some big city university school of law it's Harvard University, Harvard University, where where standards on how to teach students about law were were set throughout history, at least throughout the history of the United States. It and and the idea that one of the fundamental aspects of our legal system, one of the underlying pillars upon which it's based, that it'll go toppling over if that pillar wasn't part of our legal system is being called a problem by the students because they don't like the guy who's benefiting from it. Because honestly, you know, when we when we talk about that bottom area of the progressive stack, you really mm -hmm. need to divide that very bottom rung, that last, into two groups, attractive and unattractive, with the attractive being just a little bit above the unattractive. And and conventionally speaking, you know, if you ignore the money and all of that, Harvey Weinstein falls into the unattractive end of that spectrum. Uh, and, and of course, that makes a difference that it shouldn't make, but it does. Mm -hmm. And it makes more of a difference when we're talking about a man than a woman. Um, ugly women can get all kinds of benefits in their lives that ugly men cannot get, and even some good-looking men cannot get. So there's that. But the thing is, if you took that money out of out of uh, university and everything, you would go back to a, a, a situation again where the best of the best were getting into Harvard and students who were not the best of the best, students who couldn't handle it, the snowflakes, the the students whose grades aren't up to snuff, the students that didn't have the discipline to do the work would go somewhere else 
or go into other jobs. And that would not be a bad thing at all. And instead, we have students that can't handle real life and can't even handle the, the legal system being the way that it is, not being corrupt, but being the way that it was meant to be. They can't even handle that, and they're going to law school. What are they studying law for? They hate it. Yeah, really. I mean, this is a law, it's a law school. These students don't seem to believe in the law. It's crazy. How are the, Why they, are you, know, you maybe, and I... Maybe Why they are you took, and I um, on the hook for their loans, their college loans? Yeah, maybe they took the SAT adversity score, and that's how they got in. I don't know. <laughs> See, that's what I want to know. I, I don't know. I don't know anyone who's convinced of uh, of Harvey Wasser's name's innocence. Really, are we we we've heard some pretty damning evidence, and even even the straw men that they paint as us. Would would not be willing to go. Nah, I I think he's perfectly innocent, but he still deserves what every other citizen deserves, like <laughs> the right to be defended, and for and for anyone to say, yeah, for anyone to shame anyone who would dare defend him away from their duty to defend him is. <laughs> Is is not just a corruption of democracy, but a corruption of the very rule of law, is it not? Someone should be employed to defend him. You can't just chase away anyone who would do that, no matter how obviously guilty he is. And most of us as a convi uh, are convinced, not 100%, but most of us are pretty fucking close to that, convinced that this is definitely... Uh, a fucking rotter who needs to go down. But he still needs a fair defense. Everyone does. Even people we're convinced are indefensible. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think there are people who are convinced, but I'm not one of them. I haven't seen any evidence of rape or sexual assault. I've, I've seen evidence of sex i've seen evidence of him saying things that are kind of weird and gross but hello it's hollywood i've heard him abusing his position as a superior and i know that sounds like mm. feminist talk possibly could even go on the feminist bingo <laughs> but it's it's not as though it comes from a blue sky there there are there are there are the occasional let's face it male feminist who sure who, who who will abuse their position? I, I I think and that if, any, there's if it includes a, anyone, it's likely to include the likes of yeah. um, Weinstein. I think I there's a case. There, there is case. A, just real quick. I think there is a case to be made for that, but yeah. that's not the way that Harvey Weinstein is being presented by anyone. They're basically working it in the same way they did the Bill Cosby thing. They're calling him a serial rapist. It's way blown out of proportion. Yeah, if he's using his power to try to, like, manipulate women to having sex, um, that's definitely, like, you know, shitty or whatever. But I, I just think it's a matter of uh, perspective and scale and intensity. And I think and that those are important. Then there's what about women manipulating men? Yeah. Yes, what about that? that that's a thing. Well, well, no, they're, they're just victims. He kept his receipts. Yeah. <laughs> That, he that, has that, emails that, that, from some of these women begging for his dick. 
being like, I'm going to be in L.A. for like for like just the week. Can I see you, please? I need to be with you again. It's almost like they were both getting something out of this arrangement. Uh, almost. Yeah. Like it was a yeah. transaction. And, and it makes you wonder how many. Is... It makes you wonder how many Harvey Weinstein's of the world are out there who are conventionally attractive men who get away with this for a long time because they're conventionally attractive men. And the only one who's fallen on the sword is Harvey Weinstein because he looks like some kind of burrowing animal, you know? Well, and somebody decided that he needed to get down. And, and that that somebody was a reporter, um, wanted to do a story on him and uh, compiled a lot of information and a lot of complaints and, and wrote it up. And everybody went, oh, my God, this guy is a serial rapist. He's terrible. Um, and then the stories started to fall apart. And accuser after accuser has fallen apart uh, from, from, you know, individuals who claimed to have been raped when there was uh, actual evidence that they were active, willing participants who wanted to do it again to individuals who claim to have been pressured when uh, and, and released video, which actually showed two-way flirting, and him asking for and receiving consent. Yeah. Um, I think this it, is, uh, my the, thing is we got to... What this is evidence of, if anything, what this case, the Harvey Weinstein case, is evidence of is that the cut-and-dried feminist narrative on workplace... Uh, sexual hijinks, I guess you could say, um, on on uh, fraternization and all, all that, and and the idea that women are victims of it and men always are the uh, oppressive users and women are always the oppressed, abused uh, victims. That's not true, and the idea that it it's not going to happen if we criminalize it is also not true. Mm-hmm. And the idea that quid pro quo only goes one way and and that there is never uh, any any times when uh, an individual who wields his power that way um, is encouraged by women that 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 never happens. No, that's not true either. It's, it's, it, we still can't even make um, high class escorts illegal. No, because. The only difference between prostitutes and high cost, high, uh, yeah, high class escorts, is that it's simply presumed that high cost, uh, high, yeah, high cost escorts are independent women, and if they happen to have sex with you, well, that's just simply their decision. But obviously, it's a massive gray area because money changes hands in the same way. It's you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. How do you, where it's not it's not even a line. It's a big old wobbly gray area. Yeah, services are still charged for, and they still include sexual services, and and yeah, the idea that uh, that those women always have as much choice as say the the gal that you buy drinks for in a bar, and women who just flat out walk down the street in a g string and a and a bra selling their bodies have less choice every single time it's 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 not right it's it's not true uh there are times when uh and and then of course nobody ever looks at the men who get taken advantage of the same way nobody ever looks at male prostitutes and their experiences a lot of times 
male prostitutes or homeless guys who are having sex in order to have a place to stay for the night. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, so it's not something that is, uh, cut and dried. It's not, in fact, the entire thing is a gray area and the only people that benefit really from the laws related to these, uh, areas are the lawyers that have to get paid to uh, represent the people involved, the prosecutors who make their careers on claiming to have uh, cut down a lot of crime in your area because they arrest a bunch of prost- or have a bunch of prost- prostitutes arrested every night and then pick some that are really in bad shape to send to jail. Um, and, uh, you know, the people who run the for-profit jails. None of these laws benefit the public. None of these laws benefit. They don't protect prostitutes. They don't protect uh, employees. Uh, if you file a complaint for sexual harassment in the workplace, you, from that day on, the human resources uh, department and the administrative departments are all going to be gunning for your ass. You're going to be out of there eventually. You, Your moment to start looking for a new job is the moment you realize you have actionable harassment that's been uh, perpetrated against you. Because it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. As soon as you are the, the, the one making the complaint, you now have a target on your back. Particularly how do if you you're benefit a, from that? If you're a male complainant, by the way, oh, yeah. and you try to, uh, to uh, test the double standard by saying this employee or even this manager has been sexually harassing me and see how far you get with that as an HR complaint. It'll, it'll get talked down in that usual psychologist way to say, oh, you were overreacting in some way. You just let, let, let it get on with it and stuff. Yep. And once in a blue moon, we hear about somebody that uh, gets a massive settlement from a lawsuit over sexual harassment. But uh, the other 99 times out of 100, um, they usually just get maybe a year's compensation or less. And again, they get pressured out of their job. Um, not saying that you should tolerate anything like that in the workplace. But the idea that these laws protect you, really protect you, no, they don't. Uh, and if you're a man, you're far more likely to be falsely accused than you are to be uh, protected by harassment laws. And how often do you think uh, a female teacher of any age is likely to get sacked for being a little bit too aggressive with the children, a little mm-hmm. bit too do it the way I want and no other way? How often do you think that happens compared to how often a male primary school teacher gets sacked for being all, do what you like, kids? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, I, it, it's... Oh, she's such a great disciplinarian. And, uh, of course, he's too rough on the kids. Yeah. And then let's just swap it around. (laughs) Imagine a really strict male teacher. Oh, yeah. And a a really liberal female teacher. Again, the male's likely to get sacked. We have Pink Floyd to fucking thank for that, by the way. The whole stereotype of of the male headmaster type teacher. I mean, I don't like the sound of school back in those days when when, when it was full of 
a, a Scottish authoritarian men who would just wrap you around the around the knuckles and say, "What you're doing, boy?" But I well, Mike, you, you I, can't have any uh, if you don't have, you can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. <laughs> How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your? And <laughs> I can absolutely see why they would protest against those kind of standards. But now we are seeing what the opposite extreme of those kind of standards are, where where they do whatever the fuck they let the kids like, and the the teachers just have to bear the stress. It's it's a stereotype in movies like Sister Act Two, or whatever that thing Danny DeVito was in. <laughs> I mean, the really dumb thing is, uh, you know, I mean, kids have to have structure, or they they're lost, and it really screws with them when they have somebody who not only can't give them structure, but is like a lot of times when you have the, the teacher that just lets the kids be little hellions in the class, she's afraid of them. And uh, I like, I've had teachers who were afraid of the kids when you're a kid and you have a little bit of a mean streak. It's fun. Um, but it's not so good for you necessarily. This is why I so often blame uh, my uh, less. It was a good education, but it was a less than perfect education. But I don't blame it on the teachers being boring or being bad teachers. I blame the fucking children and being just unwilling to learn. I went. I went to a, one of those free, uh, sort of, uh, you, uh, public pri- schools. You guys would call them private schools, state oh. schools, state sponsored schools, public and schools. Ed- yeah. Anyone who goes to a state-sponsored, like, free sort of school is guaranteed to be surrounded by sociopaths <laughs> who, who, who are just out to prove they're better than everyone. Because kids are like that. Not all kids, but a decent amount of kids to... All, not all, take, not all, but most. To take, ...to take over that environment and turn it into... Ugh. Some some kind of f- fucking Stanford prison experiment, but I I keep saying this, but I honestly can't say homeschool is homeschooling is any better because the statistics are pretty slim on that. You know, it really depends on the family. Um, if you get somebody that says they want to homeschool, uh, the first thing they need to know is that's a lot of work. And it takes a lot of dedication, and you should network with other families that do it as well, so that if you have a parent that's better at uh, math and teaching math, um, and you have a parent that really sucks at it, maybe they can swap and figure out what that other parent is is good at, uh, and 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 work with that. And the, the students don't necessarily have to be in a classroom setting but perhaps can do their thing together periodically so that if somebody's getting behind, um, there's help. And there are structured homeschooling systems that you can get involved with. And uh, those aren't bad. Those are not necessarily, you just have to, you have to be as dedicated to that as you would be to dealing with a child's uh, catastrophic illness or serious disability. Uh, Because it's, it's going to take as big of a chunk of your life and your child's life. Um, it's going to take as big a chunk of your life and your child's life as going to the public school system or a private school would of your child's life and the teacher's life. So as now you're the teacher and you're the administrators. So it's not for everybody. 
but it's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. It's just that it can be done badly, but so can public school and so can even private school. There's there's no easy road there. Um, you really have to fight for your kid's education the whole time they're in school. If the, the whole point is um, is finding a trade um, beyond your family, and 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 this would sound wrong to a nineteenth century person, or in, or indeed an ancient Greek person, because uh, businesses and families were considered the same thing. But in this in this day and age, uh, the average family is not going to start a business. So 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 you really have to branch out if you if if you want to explore the vast amount of the earth that we've discovered. Namely, all of it except the Mariana Trench. <laughs> Forgot hmm. my point again. <laughs> it's okay. We should uh, wrap this up, though. So, uh, remember, we did get a little bit on a tangent uh, regarding Harvey Weinstein, but this story wasn't even about him and his guilt. It was about a lawyer that was punished at a law school because he wanted to defend someone in the West. <laughs> so, so let us know what you guys think about the stories in the comments. I section. can't help but think of the blue chicken in Futurama. <laughs> All I can say is stop paying our universities to fail. Yes. They are failing our kids. And those kids are like, they're, they're the ones that are ultimately going to suffer. You know, their lives are going to be shit. And I think it's because we tell them, well, you know what? I'm not going to get into it. We can talk about it in the after show. So I'm going to go to the after show and we're going to look at this medium article, the world war with women. Which side will you be on? There's a lot of W's I just noticed in this. So if you want to be a part of that, just go to feedthebadger.com, become a badger yourself, give us a monthly subscription, it'll get you to the Discord so you can hang out with us, and you can either just, you know, just watch it on a, as an unlisted live stream, kind of like this one, on YouTube, or you can, like, be in the chat with us while we're talking live and even comment yourself, so be sure to do that by going to feedthebadger.com. Right now, I'm going to take us out there, so I do want to thank... Uh, Mike, Jay, and Dr. Rademacam, and Al, and I'm sorry, I almost said Allison. I, I guess I'll thank Allison for something. But I want to thank Hannah in particular because she's here uh, for coming on and commenting on these stories and providing an excellent commentary as always. And I want to thank you guys for watching. And uh, we'll talk to you guys very soon. Be sure to hit that like, subscribe if you're uh, not already subscribed, hit the bell for notifications, and leave us a comment. Thanks, guys, for coming on the HBR News Show. Have a great night, everybody. Hong Kong. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.